AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. Happy Monday morning, but don't go looking for updates on the markets. Don't even go to the mailbox. But maybe today is the day that you get that brand new mattress you've been wanting. Happy President's Day. We're going to spend a little time talking the markets. We'll visit with a very well-known advocate for agriculture. And get this, we will learn what fired up Machinery Pete 35 years ago. From President's Day in the USA via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This morning we begin with a conversation with Machinery Pete Greg Peterson. Then it's Joe Vaklovic from Standard Grain and later from U.S. Farm Report, our own Tyne Morgan checks in. I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson. Now, welcome the host of AgriTalk, Chap Flory. All right. Happy President's Day. The the day that mattresses across the country, for some Mm -hmm. reason, go Mm -hmm. on sale. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's not just mattresses. I'm pretty sure you can find deals on Davenports, recliners, Ottomans. Right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Anything in the furniture store is on sale. Yeah. You know, I I think. uh Uh-huh. What? What, well, I was just going to say, maybe we should check in on the hot tub stores, too. Feels well, like this is the kind of thing that would be on sale for presidents, say, hot tubs. Maybe. I think it all comes down to just how much of a tax return is expected out there in people's <laughs> pocket. Maybe they've, you know, maybe they've done their taxes early. They're right? planning ahead a little bit and thinking, wow, uh-huh. I got that much coming back. Whew. It's time to spend a little bit of that money on a new mattress. Sleep mm-hmm. better at night, baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I like to wait. Till I get that money in my pocket, if I get any, you know, right. which, uh, which rarely, but well, you know, Hey, should you get any, there's a question that we should probably talk about at some point on the show. Well, if, if my accountant is doing his job, right, we should be forces net is zero. Nobody owes anybody anything, you know, Amen, that's right. Baby. Amen. I don't need to let them have any more of it no. than, than, uh, than what I'm required mm-hmm. <laughs> to contribute uh then then uh that that tax return some people look at it as forced savings yeah yeah uh, you're missing out on some interest payments there missing mm-hmm. it out all right so markets are closed we're still going to have a markets conversation with joe vaklovic i talked with joe last week down in louisville at mm-hmm. the national farm machinery show great conversation some big picture stuff coming up in that uh at the end of the show tyne morgan uh, Tyne and I are having a conversation about a new opportunity for me on U.S. Farm Report with Chip's Corner. Some of you may have already seen it. If you haven't seen it, I want you to stick around to the end of the show, hear about it. But it's another opportunity to to get into a conversation about what what was the most important conversation that we had during the week. And uh, Machinery Pete. We're going to hear about the thought, the the what what sparked machinery, Pete, in Greg Peterson's head. Uh, that is coming up here in the next segment. Pretty cool, huh? Very cool. And as I understand it, Chip Corner is much more popular than than my effort, which is Davis's depression. No yeah. one wants to see that. Yeah. 
yeah, it, it it's uh, it, it it's it's a catchy title, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. but I don't know if catchy's absolutely going to draw us in this time. Yeah, yeah, it might yeah, not work. We'll have to work on something. Alliteration only gets you so far, Chip. That's right. That's right. Let's get to the news. What do you got? Yeah, well, I pulled some from last week. Um, just to run by you here, maybe we can discuss a little further. Uh, begin here. The annual inflation rate in the United States fell back to 3.1% in January, following a brief increase to 3.4% in December. But, Chip, that 3.1% print from January came in higher than uh, what was forecast at 2.9%. Right, right. Um, the the resiliency of this economy, according mm-hmm. to the data that we are getting, is very impressive. And it is helping out our, our equity indices. There's no mm-hmm. question about that. Stock markets are, have responded. But at the same time, uh, we continue to hear anecdotally uh, about how some middle middle classers are struggling in the current economy. It's mm-hmm. going to be uh, – this is all going to play out over the next six months. It's mm-hmm. not going to take a full year to fully understand what's going on in this economy. We'll get it figured out in the next six months. Well, from last week, uh, Dr. Vince Malanga said in 2024, companies beginning to embrace this idea of doing more with less, focusing on cost-cutting measures and spending discipline to improve performance. That's always a good idea. Efficiency and productivity. That's where the focus is back again. And, uh, boy, when you look at what's going on in the jobs market, that's probably where companies should have have their their focus of course we continue to hear about layoffs it's just that those layoffs are taking months not weeks to execute at some of the larger companies well chip in other news usda released the 2022 census of agriculture last week mm-hmm. ag secretary tom vilsack called the results a quote wake-up call calling particular attention to the number of farms and total amount of farmland across america <laughs> it, it, davis Mm-hmm. Was it? Did it really surprise you to hear that there's fewer farmers and bigger farms? Mm, no, not at all. The only way that this was a wake-up call is if you have literally been sleeping <laughs> through what is going on in agriculture. That's the only way it was a wake-up call. Mm. So he's he's refocused on his his push for diversifying income, including green energy in that income. Mm-hmm. Um, he he wants to clear the path for smaller farmers to and and beginning farmers to start farming and uh, commercial agriculture that does not appear to be in the focus of of secretary vilsack at at this moment it might be again but i don't i don't think it is at this moment well, Chip, here's one we didn't get to on Friday morning. The Mexican Institute for Competitiveness has highlighted Mexico's water crisis, noting severe drought affecting over 1,600 municipalities. Mexico City's affluent neighborhoods face water restrictions, with some households relying on tanker truck deliveries of water. The latest data from Mexico's drought monitor shows worsening drought conditions nationwide. It's awfully dry down in Mexico, Chip. Boy, I tell you, it's uh, it's almost like there's some major cycle at player <laughs> here, or or something like that. <laughs> uh, it's uh, and you look at the the dominant weather patterns. Uh, uh, the resurgence of El Nino is already starting to weaken, mm-hmm. and the Climate Prediction Center, uh, very recently this month, 
has issued a, a bit of a, a warning, I guess I would, I'd call it a warning, mm-hmm. saying that that El Nino is starting to weaken, and if so, that transition period, how quickly it happens, taking us back to a La Nina, uh, is going to be very critical for the 2024 growing season. Might get off to a great start. It might feel like El Nino is going to bring us a, a rather benign growing season, which would be great, mm-hmm. which would be fantastic, a, a normal growing season. But by the time we get to the middle of summer, La Nina could be starting to have an effect on the overall patterns again, which I don't think anybody's really too excited about at this point, yeah. dude. Yeah, indeed. Speaking yep. of which, uh, let's throw this one in quick. A carbon border tax in the United States under discussion yeah. as trade partners, including the EU, are moving forward with similar measures. Yeah, one of the things that I learned last week down at the National Farm Machinery Show is that we need to get some Canadians on and have them talk about what is going on with the carbon taxes up in Canada mm-hmm. to give everybody a good understanding of that. Talking about National Farm Machinery Show, I had a conversation with Greg Peterson. Found time, broke him away. We've got that conversation coming for you next here on AgriTalk. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. Machine repeat here, folks. This segment of AgriTalk brought to you by our friends at Dakota Ag Innovations, makers of Dakota Shine, the best way I've seen to fix faded paint. Go to dakotashine.com or call 888-996-7801. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm your host, Chip Flory. Happy President's Day. Glad that you uh, decided to spend a little bit of time with us. Markets are closed, uh, but we've got fresh content for you and a conversation coming your way on Monday morning with Greg Peterson, Machinery Pete. How you doing, buddy? Hey, I'm doing well, Chip. All right. How are you doing? Doing just fine. As you can, you you might be able to hear, we are still at the National Farm Machinery Show, so uh, we recorded this conversation for you last week. You just got off stage not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Talking about the trends, the recent trends that you're seeing, we're a month and a half into the new year, Greg. Yep. Are you seeing anything that you think might be a developing trend? Well, I think the biggest thing I was curious about when the calendar flipped, being that November and December were so hot, and then three years in a row I've been sort of waiting. I don't want to say the other shoe to drop, but almost because it's been so hot. And now, of course, with the commodity markets doing what they're doing, it's like, whoa, what's going to happen? Well, you know, I've been out across the country covering auctions, and what we're seeing is the good condition used 
it's still doing well. I mean, look, for example, a week ago I was in uh, southern Ohio. We filmed an auction for our TV show, a uh, retirement sale for Tim and Linda Stegbauer by the Wendt Group. Low houred stuff. Now, the 13 model, John Deere 8285 hour, 1225 hours, sold very well, brought 226. Now, that's high, it's the fourth highest, but part of my head says maybe if this was a year ago, maybe that would have been like the high or the yeah. second high. And right next to it was an 07 John Deere 8330, uh, 1268 hours on it, or 1628 hours, excuse me, brought 194, sixth highest. Again, very strong. But uh, just maybe not quite topping the records. Yeah. Still doing well. So yeah. I think the average condition equipment, we are starting to see a little bit softening. And now we're, we're coming close now to March, so the volume of sales will really start to pick up. And that will be interesting as well to see if the pricing holds. Yeah. Okay. You've mentioned it a couple of times now that maybe that combine market is starting to show some weakness. Mm -hmm. Just inventories? Well, it's inventory. So yeah. I had a stat that I shared in our seminar, and, you know, so we could take talk like a John Deere S780, so a late model, big unit. But, I mean, it was like a 400% increase in the number sold at auction last year that we saw. Jeez. Now, what people are asking me is like, uh, hey, Pete, is the drop going to be like it was 10 years ago in 14 and 50? And I'm tracking it, and right now it's not to that level. Because 10 years ago, it was 20 to 25% year-over-year, large late model used. Now, that S780 last year, mm -hmm. there were a ton of them. Dealers pushed out from end of July through December. Yeah. And when we run our numbers, they were down 15.5%. So you'd always expect some depreciation on a late model combine. But to have a 400% increase and have it only drop 15.5%, to me... Speaks <laughs> like the used market is still, it's not like it's just falling apart out there. Right. And I think a big piece of this, and it's hard because we're right in it, we don't see it, but it's hard to step back. But the growth of online bidding and online auctions just, and it's just different than it was 10 years ago. And uh, as we, I've traveled around the show here and just talking to people, no reference. I talked to a guy an hour ago, and he was talking about a tractor he bought. He goes, "Yeah, Pete, I never saw it, but I just kept clicking, and I, and I bought it, and I, it came out fine." And that's just like standard now. Where yeah, ten years ago, not so much. Never thought it. Well, we had online bidding, but I don't know. It's like right. And there was over the phone bidding. It was over the phone bidding. It's just like mentally, that when the pandemic hit, it just it just had to yank us out of like any guardedness about the online thing. It's like, oh, well, hey. And then I, I, it makes sense, I guess, because in 21 and 2, when you couldn't find anything, mm -hmm. and, you know, manufacturers didn't have any product, your dealers had nothing on the lot, and you, oh, hey, I saw this thing coming up in Kansas. You didn't have a lot of time to think about it. You just had to click the button and buy it. Yeah. And that's, you know, even though the things are different, the supply is up, that mentality sort of drags and sticks with us, I think. And I, I think that's part of what we're seeing. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Uh, yeah, as you mentioned, you, you had the, the seminar uh, down at the National Farm Machinery Show. What were some of the questions? Okay. This is what I love most. And, okay. same, and you, you get a two-chip. You go around and, uh, you know, you do your thing, you talk to people, but then people come up to you with their own things. Yeah. So I came off the stage, and the first dude that I was, well, first it was two, a young guy from Michigan who watches the show, so we're like, great to see a young person interested in tractors 
and I asked him what his favorite was, and he said, John, you're 8,400. So I told his dad, I said, your son, you're doing a good job. Your son has good taste. That's awesome. <laughs> but right behind him was a guy from Ukraine, and he said, Majiri Pete, I want to talk to you. I started an import-export business and a YouTube channel, and we have 100,000 subscribers. And I'm like, whoa, we need to talk. Yeah. And uh, hear his story and uh, taking stuff back there to the reality. So hopefully we can catch him on a podcast. But right behind him was a gal from where I grew up, Benson, Minnesota. Okay. And actually, while you were uh, talking to the KSIH folks on the show, I, her husband, Michael Leary, came up and uh, Mike, Mike from home, Mike from Benson. Yeah. So catching up on what's, what's home. He was teasing me. He's like, ah, you look more like your dad every day. And I'm like, well, that's a good thing. So no, I just love the variety of it. And uh, people, I mean, you still need the equipment you, you need to farm. So again, I think that people are searching for that fit and uh, they've been aware of how hot the used market is. So even as dollars are becoming tighter, maybe some optimism that maybe there'll be some better buys coming up the next six months. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, as I was walking around down at the Farm Machinery Show, the the conversations that they came to me with were a little bit different. Uh, mm. You know, it, it was a lot of times it started with how low can this corn market go? Right. That's that's the number one thing. And so when you realize just how closely connected everything is to yep. that king corn. You put the king corn chart over the decades against my auction price chart. Yep. You got symbiosis there. Yeah. I mean, they, they're, they're connected at the hip. That's right. So, yeah, it'll be real interesting to see, uh, you know, as we go forward. And I, at the farm show, it's interesting because there's sentiment. So how are you feeling? And to, we totally understand the way people, I mean, it's no fun, yeah. right? But then I go out and we're putting an asset up for sale, a combine, a two-year-old combine. So at that sale in Ohio, it was interesting that it had a John Deere S670, a 15 model. Now, our data shows that the average auction price last year on a John Deere S670 combine fell 23.9%. That was that, that doesn't mimic the drop from a decade ago. But this combine only had 562 SEP hours on it. And the day before the sale, we did a walkthrough video yeah. talking to Tim and Linda Stegbauer. And I've contended for a long time that when you're selling something, you know, you want to personalize it. Yeah. And that combine was beautiful. And it brought 200,000. Yeah. So you got the average at 100. Tim's went for 200, second highest in 14 months. So folks are willing to pay a premium for the nicest stuff. But if it, it's got to be the nicest. If it's, yeah. if it's got some issues, the, you know, then the, the dollars are slipping a little bit. Yep. Okay. Only got a couple of minutes left here, Greg. But I got to ask you, when you're at the at, at a show like the National Farm Machinery Show, how many times does the question... How in the world did you get started? Come up. I get asked that a lot. Uh, and in the seminar, I, I tried to, to address that a little bit, and I showed a picture of my dad, Jerry. Dad's 86, Benson, Minnesota, doing well. Uh, but he was, the, he was the guy that got me started. And uh, in 1989, I was 23 years old. I'm an accountant by trade, uh, and my wife got a teaching job in Rochester. We moved. It was a six-week period. I was looking for a job. And Dad called up and said, come home, I'm going to show you something. And he, there was this auction price book. A gentleman named John Botain at Morris State Bank in Morris, Minnesota, started it in 1986 in the crunch of the 80s. And uh, John had got promoted, didn't have time to keep doing it. Dad, my dad was sad that this book was going to go away with the auction prices because there was no Internet. Yeah, uh, the only way you knew what stuff was worth was what John started. And my dad said, this is really good. 
And he said, you're 23, you don't have kids yet. I, and he said, I know you, you're kind of stubborn. It's dad, dad knows father, yeah. knows son. Yeah. And so I just listened to my dad and I started it. And uh, that was 34 and a half years ago. So it's been really fun. I couldn't have predicted all the twists and turns along the way and stuff. But I, just a huge shout out, thank you to your listeners for pulling me along all these years and helping me. So it's been, uh, it's been uh, a joy. Yeah. Well, shout out to dad on that one. That, yeah, when I he talk, saw the future in that I, book. See, now when they say it's a data world or big data, yeah, that's what my dad was telling me. Yeah, 34 years ago, that this is there's something here, and I, I described yeah. it in the seminar. I said building machine repeat business was like a crockpot. It was a good idea, but you couldn't make it be big quick. You just had to lean in and trust and let it simmer for right. And that's what I've tried to do. And again, big thank you to all your listeners. Yeah, yeah. You absolutely couldn't make it happen quick when, when it's history. Uh, and it's a history of an industry. Yeah, I, that you've got in those numbers there, Greg. It's absolutely. It's been fun. fantastic, dude. It's been fun. Well, congratulations, buddy. It was another good show down there. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you again next week. Sounds great, Chip. All right, that is Greg Peterson, Machinery Pete. We'll have more AgriTalk for you in a moment. Time for Markets Now with the experts from ProFarmer. Another President's Day with the markets closed. You know, two years ago, President's Day and the extended weekend was a big deal for the grain markets. Rumors were flying around the globe about Putin's planned invasion of Ukraine, and those rumors ended up being right. Here we are two years later, and the whole world is wondering what Putin's plans are next. Will he be satisfied to prolong the conflict? Uh, Believing the, the weight of time will break Ukraine's resolve, or will Russia push the issue in an attempt to bring an end to the fight and a change of the borders in in, uh, in Ukraine? Last year, the President's Day three-day weekend was another important weekend for the grain markets. Corn and soybean traders knew. We just knew that Argentina's crops were suffering, but nobody really knew how much of a production hit would be recorded coming out of President's Day, the picture became much more clear on Argentina. That helped corn and bean prices firm a year ago this month, but most of what had but most of that had already been factored into corn and soybean prices. This year's global crop supply questions are still unanswerable. We still don't know what's happened to the Brazilian bean crop, or if lost production in Brazil will ultimately turn into more demand for U.S. beans or more demand for U.S. corn. Wouldn't that be great? The markets still need more time to figure it out. And with all of the things that are happening out there geopolitically, the corn and soybean markets have found a way to ignore what has become a seasonal rally to increase incentive to keep planting more acres. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. 
FullScale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about FullScale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm your host, Chip Flory. Glad that you're with us on this Monday morning. It's President's Day. The markets are closed, but we're going to have a market conversation with Joe Vaklovic. Joe How's it going, buddy? Good. It's good to see you in the flesh. We're here in uh, Louisville taping. Uh, crowded show. Lots yeah. of people. Yeah. Turn out. Yeah, absolutely. How things at Standard Great? Uh, good. Busy. Um, I'm in the podcast business basically full time. So right. I uh, I do what you do, kind of, I guess. I talk a lot. I talk too much, probably. <laughs> well, now, we've talked about your podcast on the afternoon show. We, we talked about it briefly. But tell, tell us a little bit about it. So I started doing a podcast in 2020 kind of as an experiment, I guess. I wanted to see if anybody would listen to it. I'd always done radio for you and, and for AM stations all across the country and stuff. And I figured, you know what, I'll give it a shot and see if anybody is interested in listening to it. And now this is going on our fifth year, I think. And the um, the, the listener base and the, the viewers on YouTube continue to increase. So it's it's turned into a full-time job for me, basically. Yeah. And if you're looking for something to to get your morning started it's there early in the morning yeah we tape at 5 30 uh a.m central and everything's posted by 6 a.m central so uh yeah the people who love it um watch i mean there are people who listen every single day there are people whose wives come up to me and they tell me you're the first voice i hear every morning they're like they're like angry about it but you know i guess i guess that's good for me i mean yeah. overall you know that's fantastic. Okay, down at the National Farm Machinery Show, you uh, you were on the U.S. Farm Report this weekend on the panel with Tyne Morgan. Um, the the number one question, Joe, that I've had from a, a couple of days of walking around down here at at uh, in Louisville is just how low can the markets go? Uh, they 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 start with corn, so I'll start with corn with you. How low can this market go? This has been a big question. I think this is one of the biggest questions in the market because for this reason. So we had this whole COVID inflation nonsense, whatever you want to call it, but it resulted in everything on the planet being more expensive to the tune of 20, 25, 30, 35%, whatever the number is. So the corn market right now is the, the, the fundamental setup is very bearish. The supply and demand situation is very bearish. So the question for me now is, what is a new bottom of the barrel corn price in a post COVID post inflation environment prior to COVID and prior to inflation? And let's say the era from um, like 2006 through most of 2020, $3 was the bottom of the barrel. That was as cheap as you got in the most bearish of situations. So right now we're in the most bearish of situations. What's the new bottom of the barrel? Should it be 
20 or 30% higher, like everything else on the planet, or does that not apply? I don't know, but I think that's the question. Yeah. You know, and, and, uh, to those that are involved in agriculture and, and spend every day marketing grain, they understand exactly what they're talking, what, what you are talking about. But for a more casual observer of what's going on in the markets, what does this mean to the corn growers out there when we talk about, you know, a, a front month corn contract that's under four and a quarter coming off a high in that contract that was what? Up over seven bucks, right? Yeah. What it means is that there's no profitability. So if you're a farmer, you're still holding on to 2023 corn bushels. Those bushels, as it relates to profitability on your farm, they're probably not profitable. Right. Um, and, and there are exceptions. There are people who don't don't borrow money or don't pay cash rent. There are exceptions. Uh, for 2024, crops that are going to go into the ground this spring, um, the price of the commodity has come down faster than the price of the inputs. Things like fertilizer are going to be down a little bit, but inputs are pretty sticky. And uh, things like cash rent tend to have a three-year lag, maybe more than that. So you're in a situation where the price of the commodity, which moves every day and, and can move a lot, has, has moved down much faster than the uh, input, input costs, which leaves you with negative margins in a lot of situations. What is this market trying to do right now with the lower prices? What is it trying to accomplish? It's trying to buy demand, I think. And how do you do that? It's probably got to be through exports. Um, we've only got a limited capacity when it comes to ethanol, and that's you know 35 or 40% of the demand base. The feed demand, I don't know if it comes up a lot. You've got low cattle numbers. I, I don't know if I see that. I think exports for this marketing year, which ends at the end of August, exports would be the thing to move the needle. And the probably the only way that you see a big increase versus what the government has already projected is you have a crop issue in Brazil um, and you drive some Chinese business, ideally, but but just any sort of business to the United States. Yeah, yeah supply side fix to this thing, it would help. But it'd be temporary. Demand side fix would be much better. Demand uh, markets, demand rallies are, are to be respected, whereas supply scare rallies like we saw in the corn market last summer where we rallied sharply, but it only lasted for two weeks. Those are the ones that are always a little bit suspect. So we love to see a demand led rally. We're just we're not even close. Right. Right. So tell me the story on soybeans. It's a similar story. Um, the, the story there, though is a lot less, I have a lot, e even less optimism about exports there. Uh, Brazil's got what appears to be a pretty big crop. It's not going to be a record. They had some early season uh, drought issues, but Brazil is really just eating our lunch on the export market. I mean, when it comes to soybeans landed in China, China's our biggest, everybody's biggest export market. I mean, you're talking like a dollar, dollar and a half bushel cheaper out of Brazil versus the United States. We're doing some business out of the Gulf. We're still selling beans to China, but the, the soybean export program very much lackluster where you are seeing a bright spot is in soybean crush domestically and that's going to be the story moving forward big picture we're going to use a lot more soybeans domestically we're going to export a lot less but we're in the middle or, or maybe at the beginning of that transition right now and that transition just ain't going so well right do you like the trends that you're seeing in the soy balance sheet you know we do have crush pointed in the right direction soybean oil stocks are pointed in the right direction too they're coming down but there's going to be a lot of meal out there the can we deal with those kinds of trends? No, I, I don't like the trends. Um, so USDA had this Ag Outlook Forum out, yeah. and they're just this is these are just early. They're, they're guesses at the very yeah. best, right? But at the same time, like I took pencil to paper and punched them into a spreadsheet, and I was playing around with different possibilities. It's going to be really tough to get your soybean ending stocks or or stocks to use situation 
into something that would be more friendly. It's it's going to be tough to do. USDA, in my opinion, for this new crop marketing, they're, they're very early guess. I think they're too high on exports. Um, I, they're, they're penciling in higher exports year over year, which just doesn't make sense to me. Unless, you, again, you have a Brazil crop problem this year or next year. They could be a little bit low on crush. I could see the crush number coming up a little bit. They're expecting another 100 million bushels. I think they could be light for this year and for next year with that number. So I think the big, if there is a demand optimism, it's this crush expansion. It's some of these uh, rules and regulations coming out of states like California. It's um, the renewable diesel thing, all of that. Yeah, yeah the the, uh, the renewable diesel, the sustainable aviation fuel, a lot, uh, most people like, well, most proponents, like to argue that it's 2005, 2007 for the ethanol industry. Is that kind of how you see it? I think it could be. I think it could be. Um, there's still a lot of uncertainties, like how some of these emissions are going to be treated. I know we've got some uh, guidance from the government forthcoming that could move the needle one way or the other. But from what I've been told about uh, how the airlines are thinking about this, about how people in the know are thinking about this, it's it's very much go. It's, it's very much happening. Would you know it by looking at corn and soybean prices? No, you wouldn't. Right. But maybe it's just going to take a little bit longer or, or the market's just not paying attention right now. Okay. Back to those numbers that we got from USDA at the end of last week. The carryover numbers, uh, 435, I believe it was, on soybeans for the end of the 24 or 25 marketing year. What was it on corn? Like 2.5 billion bushels, something like that? Two point North of 2.5. And the... um. The, the more important way to look at supply and demand is through the stocks to use yeah, ratio. Sure. So you're talking stocks to use ratio for U.S. corn. I believe it was like 17.2% implied. That would be the highest since your pre-ethanol days, like 2005, 2006, which um, if you guys aren't aware, that's a bad look. That's a bad, that's a really bad look. And, and it was not a good time in those uh, years prior to the ethanol boom. So you got to hope that something gives. It's it's. I mean, honestly, it's probably... Gonna, it's going to be a weather issue if some, yeah. if something's going to give. That's the most likely thing that could change. That yield number on the balance sheet is what could change things the quickest. I mean, it could change in three weeks. You get the right weather pattern, or in, I guess in this case, the wrong weather pattern. But that's what could really fix the balance sheets and, and make it a little bit more uh, friendly looking for the farmer. The other thing, which is much slower, of course, is, is demand. Yeah. You know, when you start talking about the kind of carryover numbers that USDA showed us last week for the 24-25 marketing year, the the concern that I get is that supplies are starting to snowball on us, and you, to to fix that supply side issue, you got to have the weather problems, and and it feels like that's where we're at. Yeah, and without the weather problems, it I I would venture to say that it looks almost hopelessly bearish. And I've seen these situations before, and you have too, where you'll see USDA numbers that just look like we can never rally ever again. And I, I hope that we're toward the tail end of the bearish news here because, you know, they say you got to feed the bull. You kind of got to feed the bear, too, to some extent. Like, you want to, like, these guys who are short the market, these large money managers, they've got a lot in their favor. I mean, they get, they get continuous bearish news from the government. You're seeing bearish stuff out of South America. Um, you've got carries in the market, which means if you're short, you get to roll forward into a carry. It's to your advantage. You just need one of these things to change. You need something to change to get attitudes to just become a little uncertain just for a second. Right. And, and that's what we need for a rally. Okay. We only got about a minute left here, but I want you to tell me what is it going to take to get the funds to stop selling? Uh, that's a good question. So, I mean, historically, the the position of large money managers is near extremes in the corn market, in the soybean market, not so much in wheat. So I don't know. I just think you're going to need some little change. And the uh, the statistic 
is that every year, I think for the last at least 15 years, maybe more than that, there's always a short covering event in the corn market. You you see the funds exit that short position entirely and get long at least 100,000, 200,000 contracts throughout the course of every single calendar year. That's not a guarantee that it's going to happen this year, but uh, history does tend to repeat itself. My fear is that uh, it happens, but it happens too late. Like it happens in August or something. Like after all, the old crop's already yeah. been dumped and, and, you know, guys will still have some new crop to price, of course. But uh, that would be my, my concern is that either it never happens or it happens late. All right. Joe, thanks for the conversation, buddy. Of course. All right, that is Joe Vaklovic, Standard Grain, talking about what's going on in these markets and, and the USDA numbers that we uh, that we got at the end of last week. All right, coming up next, very special guest. We've got one Miss Tyne Morgan from U.S. Farm Report right here on AgriTalk. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. You can't see us, and we can't see you, so don't go changing. Listen just the way you are to AgriTalk. Welcome back to AgriTalk on this President's Day 2024. Markets are closed, uh, but we've got a very interesting conversation coming our way right now. Tyne Morgan, the host of U.S. Farm Report. How are you, Tyne? I'm good, but you just said this is going to be an interesting conversation, so I feel a little pressured right now. Well, I, you know, when we talk about the topic of this conversation, uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's interesting because you've given me a new opportunity at U.S. Farm Report, and I want to talk about it so that people know what's going on um, on U.S. Farm Report now. Every weekend is Chip's Corner. Why? You know, when you look at AgriTalk and the number of people that you interview every single week for both AgriTalk AM and AgriTalk PM, um, you know, it can be hard to keep up on all of the information. And I know that a lot of people do that live or the AgriTalk podcast is pretty popular. But when we were looking at U.S. Farm Report post John Phipps, after John Phipps decided to retire, we were trying to, okay, what kind of perspective could we bring that would still be unique but timely? And so the first thing we thought about, of course, was was you. And instead of, of, of having to come up with custom content every week, you have so many great interviews that you're doing every single week. Let's pull out the best soundbite, the most interesting soundbite that you have for, for from the week and kind of add some 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 context to right. that. And so really, this whole conversation started when John Phipps um, decided that that January 1, he was going yeah. to officially retire. It was, okay, 
How do we move now past that? And really, Chip, you have the pulse on what's happening in farm country because you talk to so many people that it really, it just, it, it, it was the perfect fit. You know, there's one thing that we need to emphasize in this too. We're not looking to replace Mr. Phipps and the, the commentary that he provided. Uh, we're just looking to provide some extra perspective uh, to what's going on out there because Phipps was really good for a long time. Oh my gosh. He was with Farm Journal for, I think, close to 30 years. He had written uh, more than 1,500 commentaries for U.S. Farm Report. You know, he started there in 2005, taking over as host. He had done 500 commentaries, not to mention um, hosting the show. And, and Chip, you, you know, writing commentary and especially humor is hard and how he was able to do that for so many years. And so, you know, it's just like whenever I took over for John in hosting the show, you don't fill John Phipps's shoes. You can't do that. Right. So it's how do you carve out a new niche and carve out a new opportunity? Um, you know, and and I told my husband the other day, I said, you know, I thought I was okay with change. But when John told me he was going to retire, like it was it was hard because he had been such a key part of U.S. Farm Report. But moving forward, we really had to look at, okay, what do our viewers want? Uh, you know, what do your listeners want? And so to be able to marry the two, it's worked out really well. And Chip, you just, you bring such interesting perspective to U.S. Farm Report and things that we wouldn't otherwise talk about. And that's what's made it really valuable. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Thank you. And thank you for the the soapbox to, to get up on uh, every weekend. The I talk to a lot of people that are outside of agriculture and Tyne, when I have those conversations with them, I realize just how important your job is for American agriculture because you are the one that is communicating, not only with farmers, but you've got a direct link to consumers, to those that might live in rural America but are not farmers. That responsibility of telling the farmer's story, that's got to weigh on you from time to time, doesn't it? I guess I don't think about it as such. I just think about just nose to the grind, doing the job. But I think what the valuable part of U.S. Farm Report is how strong our affiliate base is. So, yes, we air on RFD TV, but we have more than 150 affiliates. That is a direct line to lo a, a local audience. And so a lot of them that I talk to, you know, they've they they they're maybe their grandparents farmed or, you know, they once were, were, were farming. And there's a lot of active farmers, too. But I'm amazed how many consumers are also tuning into U.S. Farm Report through that yeah. affiliate base. And so, you know, that's also something we think about is we're not just delivering news and, and, and storytelling to farmers and ranchers. We're delivering news and storytelling to rural America. And that's what makes it so fun because it does broaden it a bit. Um, and I guess, yeah, there's a little bit of, of, of pressure when you when you think about it. But I think as long as, you know, that is our focus and um you know, when you tune into the show, I don't want you to know my personal opinion about things, right? I don't want you to know. I mean, you can ask my husband. I am very opinionated. <laughs> I just cannot show it on the show. That's right. part of being a journalist, part of being a host. And I do I do like that aspect of it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's also um, a, a reminder that no, no matter what, I, I live in the heart of rural America. And so trying to figure out, just like you, what matters to farmers and ranchers, yeah. what matters to the average rural American today we know because we live it every day. Right. To me, U.S. Farm Report isn't just a job. I mean, I live in the heart of rural America. It's what I do. It's where I am. And so, um, you know, being able to bring that as, that that perspective to the show every weekend, it's, it's an honor. Yeah. All right. So it's on every week. What is the coolest thing about the gig? 
Oh, gosh. What is the coolest thing about the gig? <laughs> I mean, since you're interviewing me, I'm going to say uh, getting to interview Chip Flory right, every right. every week yeah. for Chip's Corner. Probably just the variety and the diversity that we have on the show. Not only is it a mix of of, of news and markets, and we also um, introduced a segment called Ag Around the Globe, where it's really a glimpse of headlines that will impact you here at home. I mean, it's so easy to get caught up in day-to-day and what's going on in your backyard that you almost forget about what's happening in Europe, what's happening in Ukraine, what's happening in China, how it impacts us here in the U.S. And so we added that around there around there too. And I think just that variety, but plus the storytelling. The storytelling is my favorite. You know, that is really my favorite part of, of the show is being able to do that. But I think timely information, the variety and the diversity um, I think that's my that's my favorite part. But it's a cool job. This is my dream job. I I will. I mean, this is my dream job. I love it. My husband says, well, if you didn't do this, what would you be doing? And Chip, I don't have an answer. I don't know. I mean, I, I love what you. I do. So don't I, I don't know what I would be doing because this is this is all I see myself doing. OK, if this is it, what's next? What's next for U.S. Farm Report? Just to keep making sure that we continue to be relevant and that trusted voice for farmers. It is in in, in midst of the chaos and just the clutter and the noise that's out there. How do we make sure that we stay in tune with what farmers and ranchers and rural Americans want, but yet continue to be that trusted voice? U.S. Farm Report will celebrate 50 years next year. 50 years. I don't take that lightly. It's been on the air since 1975, longer than I have been alive. And so it's how do we carry that torch for the next generation? Outstanding. Tyne, thank you so much. Thanks, Chip. All right. That is Tyne Morgan, the host of U.S. Farm Report. I'm on there with her every weekend now with Chip's Corner. Hey, thank you so much for listening on this President's Day. Come back this afternoon. Davis and I will go over the USDA Ag Outlook Forum right here on Agritalk.